You can assure me of what you like, but whether I'll believe you or not is another question. I don't like your tune, sir. And I don't like your face, nor your hair. What's wrong with being childish? I like being childish. What century do you come from? The 21st, perhaps? Is it sensible to go on? Probably not. You know, I really think you might. Here comes the Hello! I'm going to do that in uh, <laughs> the Doctor Who music uh, pitch next time. Hello and welcome to Pull to Open. <laughs> An Good ongoing intro. quest. Thank you. An ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who in appropriately random order. My name is Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Bashel. We're a couple of guys who love the show, watched it most of our lives, mm. and uh, are really getting into jumping around uh, the episodes randomly and, and talking about this thing that we love called Doctor Who. Yeah, you know, and, and for most of my life, it, it really is a most of our lives thing, and, and for most of my life, the Tenth Planet had only existed in my head as a theoretical story, Yeah, uh, as a regeneration story, as the first Cybermen story, obviously, but... The idea of the Tenth Planet as a thing that was actually told from start to finish, from the beginning, middle, and end, although not really so much as we found out, um, it, it just, it's so weird to have uh, such an important story in my life collapse like this into a natural entity. Yeah. You know yeah, I, mean? I totally know what you mean. Uh, similar with me in that it was like, oh, the Tenth Planet was the first Cyberman appearance, the first regeneration. It's, it's you know, growing up, uh, you know, knowing, knowing Doctor Who, you knew it was like this very notable story, and yet you could never really see it. You know, like, yeah. so honestly, the legend of it probably became this outsized thing in my mind. And uh, also, like, it got me to question, like, why they, they, they treat certain episodes that are lost this way. Because as, as I understand it, like, three of the episodes had survived for, you know since the 70s or 60s or whatever you know they started sort of archiving them and as i kept thinking like well why can't i just watch those three like where are yeah. they and that, exactly. that eventually happened you know they eventually came out with the dvd at some point even though i i somehow <laughs> at that point never never got around to watching it but um it's like come on it, like I, it, it is funny that, that in general i think uh, people in entertainment don't realize how much we appreciate incomplete stories even if, if they're incomplete like you know we, we the empire strikes back was an incomplete story we were happy mm -hmm. to wait three years for the resolution like yeah well give us all of the 10th planet you have anyway before we dive into the 10th planet let's uh recap uh what happened on the socials with our previous story mm. that we covered the terror of the autons pete we uh i understand we got banned on tiktok yeah apparently terror was <laughs> all over the tiktok uh moderators <laughs> or um whatever whatever robot actually sort of uh, marks <laughs> content there so one of our tiktok videos ladies and gentlemen was marked for sensitive content Ooh. Mm. Mm. And, and this is so appropriate, given that we were just talking about the Terror of the Autons being used on uh, BBC Children's TV to ask children, is this too scary for you? Which is funny, because we did that video as well. That was part of our commentary. And that is not the video that got <laughs> uh, marked. It was actually a video where we just were simply commenting on how the Master hadn't thought through his plan um, that the Autons wouldn't sort of recognize him as their buddy or whatever. They would just sort of kill him off at the end. 
uh, and how silly that was. Um, and near as I can figure, here's my theory, Chris. And I, I don't know if there's any mm-hmm. way to ever confirm this because it's—I mm-hmm. I believe it is basically a robot flagging these things. But yeah. my guess is because a chunk of that footage has the master holding his tissue compression eliminator, <laughs> and it looks like a big cigar. Yep. I think there's probably some anti-smoking thing <laughs> that's flagging everybody smoking or potentially smoking in the app, and like I—that's my bit. That's my best theory on why that was flagged. Well, there's also uh, a little bit of unit uh, shooting guns, which one I think one of our commenters suggested that might have been the reason for the ban. That's uh, possible, but, yeah, I, but we've done that before. With unit, I, I, you know, with like uh, <laughs> Inferno. We did a few videos of Inferno, and at least one of them had, had a bunch of people shooting at the doctor, so I find that a, mm. little, a little weird. Then again, maybe, who knows, maybe the, the guns were a little more obvious in this time. <laughs> Can never tell. Uh, yes, we we did mention that the tissue compression eliminator was a little cigar-like, the way the master was holding it, and maybe the uh, you know <laughs> we got to our Freudian discussion last week. Maybe the algorithm over at TikTok is just being a little Freudian about cigars. <laughs> yeah, it might have been. Maybe it was like the I don't know what is it. What would it be? Two hundredth anniversary, hundredth anniversary of his death, or something? And maybe that was just getting a little overly Freudian sensitive for for a day just to celebrate. <laughs> I mean, the algorithm has to has to act like a uh, concerned parent, right? That's, that's basically their role now. That well, so, especially uh, on TikTok, where it is yeah. basically kids, which you know I sympathize with. But Doctor Who's a kid show, guys. Yeah, right. That's what I've been so, told. So anyway, we uh, we've been banned by TikTok. Uh, we we are the, <laughs> we're the account that that TikTok doesn't want you to see, and you should absolutely follow us, and we could get to a thousand followers very shortly. Ooh, pull to open has been closed on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Free? Yes, we'd like to stretch to stress TikTok that pull to open is not a rude title. Yeah. Unlock pull to open. Free pull to open. What's the hashtag we should use? You pick. Fans, you pick which one we should use and let us know. Yes, hashtag free pull to open. Hmm. Anyway, we'll keep going. We'll keep going until they ban us outright. We're still going to be posting the videos. Uh, so watch for some more from Terror of the Autons. I'm sure by that. By the time you're listening to this, they're all up. And hopefully banned <laughs> to create more controversy. Hopefully yes. not banned. But, I, uh, I think uh, the Tenth Planet may, may be banned for spreading incorrect science information. Right. And uh, probably for the rest of the podcast, we should call it the Ninth Planet. Agreed. Yeah, maybe there's a little retitling here. It's kind of like when you know they introduced the War Doctor, and that screwed mm. up the numbering of everything. <laughs> like, actual science has now screwed up anything that's been referred... All the Tenth Planet references in all literature and... This is probably yeah. the most prominent one. Thanks, Neil deGrasse Tyson, for <laughs> making us rename the first Cyberman story. Uh, removing Pluto from the equation. Yeah. Poor old Pluto. Poor Pluto. You, you can still find, by the way, uh, of course, we were Googling, I uh, imagine you were Googling the Tenth Planet as much as I was this week, and uh, often what you get in Google results for the Tenth Planet is there was a brief period before Google, uh, before Pluto was demoted, uh, where there was a story about a potential larger op- object than Pluto uh, out there further out in the solar system that we were maybe going to name the 10th planet. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to that. I think that got demoted too. But it well, sort of, uh, it reflects, <laughs> you know, that missing 10th planet kind of reflects how little the people of Earth seem to care about Mondas suddenly appearing <laughs> in the solar system in the 10th planet. It's like, right. oh, yeah, and by the way, uh, there's another planet. And it's heading for Earth. Oops. Yeah. It's like, meh. Okay. Interesting. Nah. <laughs> yeah. The, um, I remember the old 10th uh, planet, the actual 10th planet, 
that they were talking about. And I think what they, that it's almost like the 10th planet, whether it's Mondas or this planet X thing that was in real life screws it up for Pluto because then it's like, Mm -hmm. well, if we're going to make this other thing a planet, then any other sort of large body that comes that we see, we're going to have to make a planet. So screw it. Nobody's a planet. We're just going all out to Neptune, and that's it. We have eight planets. And so Pluto's here. We're like, you know, just like, whoa. You know, he's got his hands out. Like, dude, well, I did. I was just minding my yeah. own business here. And, like, now I'm not a planet. Like, And, and we didn't know at that time that Pluto had a giant heart. Hmm. You know, we, we only just discovered that with the New Horizons mission, like, shortly after we demoted it. You know, we go out there all the way to visit with this fabulous camera, and it shows this giant heart to us. Now it's broken, broken forever, that heart. Exactly. So sad. (laughs) But uh, before we get any further with the um, talking about the 10th planet, our first lost episode or partially lost episode we've uh, Mm. we've uh, tackled on here on the podcast, uh, we should probably jump into our regular feature that we call TLDW. Yes. Too long, Doctor Who. Too long. And and this... (laughs) This one, uh, the the 10th planet definitely qualifies, I believe, as as too long for what the actual story is. So I think, Pete, it is your turn this week in the hot seat. And I think you're going to have a relatively easy time with it, to be honest. Um, I may, though I, you know, if I, you know, suddenly repeat myself a (laughs) few times, it's probably not just me forgetting I said something. That's usually it. Um, so there, there might be a little repetition on this one. I, I, I should warning. say, before we get into it, and I'm assuming, Pete, you did watch the reconstructed episode four. I did. I actually uh, 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 indulged in the DVD, which has the, yes. uh, which has the animated version of episode four. The DVD has it all. Um, they, it might be also available online in uh, what uh, my sister calls, you know, if I, if I ever say I'm looking for something not on the dark web but in other places she calls it the murky web so i like to think that we can we can watch the 10th planet on the murky web including episode four so though it is technically a lost serial it really isn't it isn't that lost right it's not as lost as others um and there's always been that sort of regeneration sequence which is kind of the key thing and has been shown in a lot of places (laughs) and Um, we should also mention speaking of lost episodes by the way this this week a little bit of news evil of the daleks is coming back that's right animated form that's that's very exciting. So we should expect to see more of these episodes in in future pull to opens. They're keeping them I'm coming. I can't wait till one. the yeah. um, the holographic versions of all these come out, and we can just actually you know <laughs> interact with the characters or act the characters. I don't know. I yeah, just, yeah. Rewrite I just, the script exactly. <laughs> Change which doctors in it. Uh, all right, I got my timer up and ready. Uh, okay. The Tenth Planet is four episodes. Therefore, you get thirty seconds per episode. You get a full two minutes. Okay, we'll see to how give this us goes. Lot of the Tenth Planet, Pete Paschal. This is your life, and go. Okay, the TARDIS materializes in the um, Antarctic, and uh, they're actually right by a base. Uh, it's called Snowcap, which has been monitoring and, and uh, assisting a space mission. Uh, in space, and they, the Doctor and Ben and Polly are quickly uh, brought in, uh, and the they realize uh, that this uh, space mission is anything but uh, typical because what has happened is another planet has arrived in the solar system and is looks just like Earth. Um, and uh, these, what happens is there are visitors, and the Cybermen land, or these this spaceship lands, and these humanoid figures, which are the original Cybermen, come out. 
uh, right at Snowcap and uh, invade the base and take it over. And they what? Uh, they're not really sure why because they're not there to help the the astronauts on the space mission. They're left there to die. Uh, but uh, what happens is they're there to uh, take command of the Z bomb, which is a nuclear weapon. Uh, there are a few around the world, but the Cybermen are overpowered, uh, ultimately, by the people there and by people sort of taking their own weapons. Um, uh, but there is a space armada of Cybermen that then land on the planet and uh, land on Earth and take it over. And while, by the way, the, the other planet, which is Mondas, as we learn, is actually sucking the energy from the Earth. So after taking uh, a back command of Snowcap, the general there, seconds. who's kind of a nut bar, decides to destroy Mondas with the Z-bomb. Uh, he's prevented from doing that by the by uh, the people there, uh, by Ben and others who have sabotaged it. And uh, the doctor collapses. Uh, the Cybermen uh, end up trying recapturing Snowcap, but it's too late. Amandas has absorbed too much energy. It explodes. The doctor goes back to the TARDIS and regenerates into Patrick Troughton just before uh, the, the credits roll. And time! Wow. Okay. Good job. I think that's the first time we've done it. Wow, yeah. I put down a few things, but um, there was, I think, but got hit the main stuff. You know, I was a little worried you about did. episode four, but uh, my I, I exploded. Was, I got that. That's a big one. Yeah, you got that. <laughs> I, I was a little worried for you in, in my heart of hearts when, when you said the space thing in space. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> You know, there's this space mission, and it's in space, and there's something else in space, and it's a planet in space. Um, but no, that you did it exactly bang on time. Uh, two minutes on the nose. Congratulations, Pink. Thank you. you Thank uh, you, everyone. Thank you. You, you go home with that prize. my royal wave here. You can't see. Yeah, me, exactly. I, I hope you're inserting so, some audience applause at this oh, point. Oh, you have a medal in, for in me? Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> oh, there it is. Play, yes, play the music. Uh, so yeah, and and I like the way I I didn't know if it was going to be a situation where you were like uh you know you get to two minutes without the doctor actually regenerating, but yeah. that's kind of how the story deals with it. That was the right. biggest surprise, the biggest thing to happen in the history of Doctor Who until this point, and it's just like eh, yeah, yeah. he's he's sick in episode three, which is the big thing. I didn't know about the Tenth Planet before watching it that. Uh, William Hartnell, or rather a very convincing William Hartnell impersonator, collapses at the beginning of episode three. And it's yeah. just all of a sudden it's like, oh, the doctor's sick. Uh, and Ben and Polly are like, oh, it's, we'll might, we might as well just leave him in this bed. It's fine. Hmm. He's facing the wall. He, he might be dead. We're not sure. But let's, hey, look over here. You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, in, the, in in their defense, there's a big crisis going on where the yeah. world could be destroyed. But um, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's really unfortunate that it it actually works. I got to say because mm. it it in terms of like he, the body getting thin, he's dying. It certainly hits that point home even harder than it was originally scripted. Um, yeah. That said, it kind of robs William Hartnell of like the finale that he really should have. Mm. Um, which is, you know, he should be more of a commanding presence throughout. And at least he, he convincingly takes command in episode four and gets to have some good final lines and, and moments. Um, we but, just yeah. don't see him doing them, personally. Yeah. We, yeah, it has to be an animated version of him, which is such a a sad, poignant ending. 
uh, and puts me very much in mind of an adventure of space and time. Yes. Which is so. Here's here's what I did. Here's how I recommend sandwiching the tenth planet in your viewing. I watched an adventure in space and time, which ends with the tenth planet. Uh, mm-hmm. It is, of course, the the nonfiction uh, story of William Hartnell being the Doctor and losing the Doctor uh, that was broadcast for the fiftieth anniversary in twenty thirteen. Um, still a great film. Still holds Fantastic up. Still make still makes me cry at the spoiler at the end i won't spoil it for people Mm -hmm. uh but there's a sort of fantastical spoiler at the end and it just sort of hits you right in the heart as a doctor who fan says so much um anyway so then i watched the 10th planet then i watched uh uh twice upon a time oh wow which is the fictional (laughs) yeah it's the fictional continuation and and watch the randomizer send us to twice upon a time next right right that'll be incredible done it um and uh you know, and and that is such a wonderful way to sandwich it, and you get to see, you know, uh, David Bradley's character, sort of a uh, version mm-hmm. of William Hartnell, blend into William Hartnell twice, but blend into him, blend out of him for the length of the Ten Planet, blend in again. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed that, and it sort of made this. Let's be honest; it's kind of a ho hum serial. Yeah, um, I was sort of disappointed by the Tenth Planet overall. Yeah, uh, especially since. Because of its reputation as being the first yes. generation episode, the introduction of the Cybermen, who are who are actually quite good in it. Um, there, there's issues with that as well, but generally, I think the Cybermen are depicted very well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I, it's but, like I sort of was, was alluding to at the beginning. I think mm-hmm. the legend of this really doesn't serve it well for viewing because, like, it's it's very repetitive um, when episode two comes around. Oh, sorry, episode four comes around. And you're basically the Cybermen are back yet again, taking over the base yet again. There's another spaceship in peril yet again. You're kind of like, is this episode two again? Like, <laughs> what? What's going on here? Um, yeah, come on, Kit Peddler, get get your book of uh, dramatic structure out. Damn, uh, damn, ophthalmologists writing writing well, Doctor Who. And I know this is um, maybe you know a little beyond sort of writing for this sort of serial at the time, but I feel like the huge missed opportunity here is bridging. A little better the idea of the Cybermen, you know, running out of power and renewing themselves and just gen- the general concept of the Cybermen as being mm. this sort of replace bits and are you really the thing that you were originally were and putting that vis-a-vis the doctor regenerating into a new person. You know, and yeah. there's there's really not much bridging of those two things. They're just two things that happen to happen in the same episode. It's not really well explored at all. Um, it it had such potential for that, doesn't it? And that's that's part of the problem sometimes with watching old Who is in retrospect, you you kind of look back and you see, oh, they, these stories could have had so much more poignancy, right? right. I mean, the the uh, supposedly what Hartnell was supposed to say in the original script before he regenerates is, I can't go through with it. I can't. I can't. I will not give in. Yeah. Which. And they cut that because they just wanted to spend the entire day shooting the actual regeneration scene, mm-hmm. which, fair play, it's an iconic scene. Uh, it uses a BBC monitor that didn't work, which I think is <laughs> the most BBC <laughs> special effect ever. It's like, oh, cut to monitor where that makes your face flare up. Yeah, cheap right. special effect. Uh, but well, totally f- works. It totally uh, works. That's the thing. I mean, it didn't. <laughs> it, it worked by not working. 
But makes generation regeneration kind of this aside, this just thing yeah. that happens in the, end of the script without even mentioned by the Doctor. He just sort of walks off in the snowstorm. So I really think that that watching uh, Twice Upon a Time after this kind of really brings that satisfaction of like, oh yes, this makes more sense. That's what happened. He went off, had a whole other adventure out there in the snow. Um, so fair play to Stephen Moffat for filling in something in Doctor Who canon for, for restoring that line, for making it the basis of of uh, Twice Upon a Time. But yeah, that, that very same poignancy about the Doctor changing and being the equivalent of a cybernetic being constantly changing himself um, could have been investigated. Could have, could have been, could have been a classic, Kip Peddler. Could have been a classic. Yeah, and it still is. And I, the, the actual sequence is quite good it turns out i mean they they spent obviously a ton of time on it i mean that's sort of the uh, kind of legendarily like it took out like an entire day for this one sequence which it probably wouldn't be that unusual today but back then when they were they were they were filming episode four uh when episode one and two were like being broadcast you know it's kind mm-hmm. of like this is about the schedules as they were back then um you know, it's uh, you can't spending a whole day on a, a one scene is is was probably kind of very unheard of. Um, yeah. So, um, but we should we should talk about really, if if you were to go onto the murky web or to buy the old DVD and watch the tenth planet, what would you actually get for your money uh, or lack of it? And mm-hmm. it's what what surprised me was how Doctor Strange Lovish this whole story is. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you got those vibes as well. Yeah, for but sure. It, I, I got very. It's very claustrophobic, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's always sort of the intent when you do these adventures, or not just adventures, stories set in Antarctica. You mm-hmm. Just sort of you even, you, and I'm glad they sort of, for the time anyway, convincingly depicted um, uh, an Arctic landscape, uh, Antarctic landscape, I should say. But mm-hmm. that, like, once you get a taste of that, you realize, oh yeah, they can't just go outside. They're really like in this tight space and um it's very it's very apt I, you know you think of mo- uh, movies like the thing and yep. um you know really there's other the Doctor Who episodes seeds of doom uh, is, is this the first doom, I think. is this the first base under siege oh that's a good question i think it might be because I was expecting more of a base under siege, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the the claustrophobic elements you mentioned, but yeah, really, it just has more of a uh, Doctor Strange Love thing vibe because of the the introduction of the Z bomb right. and the the revelation that General Cutler is basically the the General Ripper mm-hmm. of this uh, of this yeah. scenario that he would destroy Mondas with Z bombs just to save his son. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I kind of wish that they'd leaned into the Doctor Strangelove parody, you know, and have have Cutler just say things like, you know, the Cybermen are here to take our precious bodily fluids. Right. You this know, was Mr. this President, was after that, wasn't it? Because we must was... not allow. Yes, uh, <laughs> Strangelove. We must not allow a Z bomb gap. Um, Strangelove was like sixty one. Yeah, I think, uh, and this is sixty six. Uh, which is definitely later, right? Then you you would watch the Tenth Planet and think, oh, this is sort of early sixties. But no, we we are right in the middle of the swinging sixties here, and I think mm-hmm. you see that when the Cybermen enter, that it's just sort of like, uh, oh, who invited you know this this David Bowie video on set? <laughs> it has this 
pop well, Bowie was kind of feels. But yeah, um, yes, that's true. But it's it's like Andy Warhol, you know, it yeah. has a very Andy Warhol kind 100%. of feel. Hundred percent. I'm glad you mentioned sort of the timing of this because I think it's it's important and sort of lends itself to sort of both missed opportunities like the strange love thing and also why this was so ahead of its time as at this as well so it's um it's 1966 uh, that's when it's made but if it's depicting 1986 yeah uh the strange future world of 1986 <laughs> um, and, which was supposed to be 2000 in the original script but yeah, yeah they decided 86 is far off enough and it's funny like it's only referred to visually right by the calendar yeah. no one actually says the words 1986 so maybe like they still thought they might do it when when they were putting it together um but with the z-bomb uh you see that as i see that as kind of a clear sort of extrapolation of like okay the the bigger and bigger nuclear tests that yeah. were happening in the, the 50s and 60s and um the Soviet Union, you know, infamously, I think, set off the biggest one ever somewhere in the, the Arctic. I'm not sure if it was around the exact same time, but I think there was a clear, mm. and you see this in like a lot of uh, material at the time, like Star Trek as well makes references to the H bomb of the 60s and just just how worried people were getting on how big, you yeah. know, these. And it seems like if you if you think of that as a linear curve, you know, you could see like by 1986, you're getting world destroying nuclear weapons yeah. and only three of them would take to crack the planet um which is which uh, even in 1986 we were still worried about right this mm. is just the beginning of a long era of cold war nuclear paranoia yeah and you see it also with like the cybermen uh, being vulnerable to radiation i mean there's sort of mm. an obsession with radiation at the time and a lot of superheroes like spider-man had like radiation as part of their origins in the 60s and you know as worries about radiation didn't necessarily go away, but we sort of understood it better. And over time, you know, it wasn't as, as prominent a thing. Uh, yeah. And you watch it now, it. like having watched stuff like Chernobyl, right? Mm -hmm. you, you go back and you look at the scene where Ben is like, oh, it's no problem. We'll, we'll just take those, those, those rods from the reactor, those highly radioactive <laughs> rods. Yeah. And we'll just hold them on the end of these pincer things, right? And, and that's it'll fine. Kill the and we'll be fine. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, the, the sort of casual way that radiation was treated. Yeah, interesting. In the like, 60s. And Kit Pedler, you kind of wonder, I mean, he's yeah. a scientist, right? Like, did he, yeah. <laughs> was he even he like, eh, this is a bit of a stretch, uh, but, you know, let's do it because it's, it's fun. So, so Kit Pedler, for, for anyone who doesn't know, he was the creator of the Cybermen. Um, he was a research scientist at the University of London's Institute of Ophthalmology and the Department of Anatomy, uh, which sort of makes you think that, oh, well, of course he went straight to, uh, you know, I'm worried about transplants and, and cybernetic beings and just replacing the human body and do you have a soul left, mm. you know, which is very much of its time because transplants were uh, another thing we were worried about in the 60s. Mm -hmm. um, but no, apparently his first idea was that there were there was a race of star monks right. uh, yeah, I was coming from this. this twin planet on a religious quest. So I, I think we know why the randomizer has taken us here. It's the randomizer loved the monks from, um, uh, pyramid at the end of the world, uh, <laughs> the lie of the land. And it's like, here, you, you like those guys who only speak when their mouths are open. Like, you know, here, look at the Cybermen doing it originally. Cause we know the, the randomizer also loves Cybermen. Yeah. Loves weird, non, 
synced dialogue to your lips. Um, yeah, so yeah, the monks thing, that's interesting. And so it, that I, I understand what they did. They were like, well, we had the meddling monk just last year. Mm-hmm. So enough with the monks, guys. Um, I guess it was too much of a connection. Though, you know, I got to say, um, monks can work. Not necessarily the monks from the pyramid uh, at the end of the world, which we've talked about already. Um, but um, uh, for some reason, when I think monks and Doctor Who, I think about Tooth and Claw. Mm. And I feel like those guys work very well because they're actually kind of cool and formidable. Um, yeah. But that's a bit of a digression. So, yeah, back to the Cybermen. But I, I just love the idea that we would not have the Cybermen but for the meddling monk. Oh, wow. Interesting. Right? That, that's a wonderful piece of Doctor Who so, trivia for you. Yeah, the meddling monk created the Cybermen. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Um, but yeah, I think the Cybermen, just to talk, obviously it's, it's very notable for them being introduced. Uh, I think they're mm. really good in their first, uh, adventure. Now, I don't think the script is particularly good to them, but yeah. the way they're depicted and part of it is that sort of sing-songy voice that you hear and, you know, they're, they open their mouths and it just sort of comes out, the, the, the sounds just sort of come out, uh, I think is weirdly eerie and effective and it's a little disappointing that that really was forgotten about. Like some of the cooler parts of the Cybermen just don't really yeah. um, get fully explored or um, they they get discarded. Like uh, uh, the Cybermen pretty quickly uh, sort of fell back on sort of conventional sort of sinister voices that were somewhat flat, but like they weren't this mm. this idea that uh, not really knowing where to put the emphasis on a syllable and like or on a word mm. and and you know kind of like not having any feeling you just kind of just say whatever i mean it's very much like if you you know if you look at tiktok the uh the old school like hey i am taking off my uh by whatever you know like the tiktok videos that have the the robot voice mm. um you know very similarly like in, you know in that case it's like it's weird and funny and here it's kind of weird and scary they they definitely hold up in in a way because just there's something so super scary and and as I say sort of Warhol esque and pop arty about the Cybermen like they they really do look like they've come from a future David Bowie video mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, back through time like they they feel ahead of their time they're just sort of they're almost parodies of uh, cybernetic man in science fiction right? right but just having two eye holes cut and a mouth hole cut. It, it, I don't think it would work except in black and white. So it really takes advantage of the medium. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, yeah, the voice is creepy. Everything about them, the big, the box on their chest, the fact that they hold up giant camera flashes. Right. Um, the fact that they don't use the halogen lamps on their heads, which I think is also fascinating. Although they, uh, they meant to. They, they meant to. They, yeah. were, they were halogen lamps from trucks. And they they tried one out, and apparently the bulb popped. And they were like, "We're not doing that." <laughs> yeah, and forget it. And, you know, I don't blame them. If I was a Cyberman extra there, I would be like, eh, I don't think I need this gig." Um, yeah. It wouldn't have worked though. They they look creepier with them just not being used. Well, and I guess the the they have human hands, yes, um, which I, in my mind completely works. I actually really like totally. whenever the Cybermen are portrayed. I think they're more effective when you can sort of see hints of like human humanity actual human body parts whether it's sort of like the chin in um earth shock or you know the hands here 
Um, you know, and, and there's sort of a little bit of uh, behind the scenes of this, and it's a little con- contradictory. Like some, it's apparently they were supposed to have normal hands, but I think the costume designer, for whatever reason, thought they needed sort of gloves, so they ended up painting the hands silver. <laughs> uh, which is a little like okay, well it's black and white. I mean, but yeah. I actually really like that. Like the first, like there's a very prominent shot of the hand in the cliffhanger of the first episode, yes. and you can tell it's human, and it, but that it pans up to something non-human, and you're just like, wow, this is that's really creepy. I was go- just going to mention that scene because it is such a great camera angle mm. with the emphasis on the hand. I think you're absolutely right. If, it really shows how the Cybermen are best when you show the men part. Uh, right. we, we can get into whether that's a sexist term in a minute. I think we should. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, having that hand come prominently before you. Yeah, and, and we, we, we've seen this throughout our look, our randomized look at the Cybermen, right? We've seen the Danny Pink Cyberman, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. who is kind of creepier for, for still seeing his face. Um, there was the Cyberwoman in Torchwood. Yes, um, there was Lytton partially converted in the um, well, what was it? Attack of the Cybermen, which yes. is probably the most graphic in terms of like and the, conversion. And bringing it right up to date, the the haunting of Villa Diodati, you know, the oh, yes, uh, the, yeah. the lone Cybermen. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, so we're still exploring this in twenty twenty. Uh, you know, in the in the very latest Doctor Who, we're still exploring the humanity of the Cybermen. So it's it's nice to see it really emphasized right at the start they did not hide those human hands they made them front and center you can definitely see the human mouth right. uh, and you can see why Moffat looked at these at these creatures and said yeah let's let's bring the Mondasian Cybermen back right for world enough and time um, yeah. and, and turn Bill Potts into one because they're super fucking creepy you really don't need to adapt that costume much yeah yeah absolutely um, it also gives them like because it is kind of bulky uh, it, it it kind of it works because it's like I know there was an idea of like this chest unit being kind of an iron lung and just all sort of the, the parts around it. I mean, it certainly makes them seem imposing and formidable and that works. But also I like I like that it gives them kind of a starting point to then sort of, uh, you know, upgrade, if you will, <laughs> as they mm-hmm. as they're mm-hmm. portrayed in later times. And you can tell coin a phrase. They're distinctively um, Cybermen because they have like the handlebars. That's like the main sort of emblem you look for when uh, are these mm-hmm. Cybermen or not. Um, but it would make sense that like, you know, well, it's engineering. I mean, they would, uh, you know, get sleeker over time and get more features and weapons that are sometimes built in or sometimes separate. And you know, it's kind of like Apple taking away MagSafe and putting it back. <laughs> like I, I would love to go back to 1966 and tell uh, Dr. Kit Peddler that uh, these will one day be known as the Mondasian Cybermen. Right. Right. <laughs> Emphasizing that he is giving birth to this whole lineage. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, the, and, the, and the only Doctor Who villain really to have a lineage like that. Like, every time they've tried to turn the Daleks into other things. It's it's not quite worked, right? Like the the new Power Ranger Daleks and right, right. Uh, you know, like we have slightly different casings for the Daleks, but it's basically the same original design as nineteen sixty four. Right, exactly. Well and I think it, here is is where I, I feel like um Doctor Who over the years it's it's great that they do it. I um I think they're 
I wouldn't. I think it might be overstating it to say it's a missed opportunity. But the idea that like it's never really acknowledged, right? That the Cybermen look different, and it's it's kind of a subject of some debate on whether they're supposed to look different to the characters or whether this is sort of in the same way that the Klingons were famously given ridges and different makeup um, when they were reintroduced in the eighties. Um, do you even have to acknowledge in the show that they look different? And I think by and large, mm. you default. No, you don't. Like when you're doing something, it's just, you know, that the viewers can figure it out and know, you know, that this is simply production value decisions. But I think in the Cyberman's case, it's it's actually like an interesting thing to explore that in the show that is like, oh, different kind of Cyberman. And they've done this a little bit in the books and the comics and um, the doctor acknowledging, oh, yeah, these ones, you know, are weak to gold and these other ones aren't. And um you know uh, it's it would be good if i think if the show crossed that line that actually the characters acknowledge that they do look different and that difference actually means something now that mm-hmm. kind of would screw things up in terms of the timeline because there's a lot of places where like cybermen that you kind of think would have been from the future or kind of in the past and whatever but i mean you know we can we can write around that i mean <laughs> the cybermen have captured time <laughs> ships here and there yeah and it is great that that the uh, the new new who has has gone there, you know, with, with uh, reintroducing the Mondasian Cybermen mm-hmm. and um, you know just just exploring a little bit more around the timeline. Always love it when Doctor Who does that. Um, but so yeah, we should talk it's... about the word Cybermen for a minute. Yes, this is. Something... Oh, uh, I'll say one more thing, mm-hmm. by the way, because the moral of the story is, you know, thank goodness for cheap BBC special effects budget. The Cybermen were supposed to have a claw. Uh, like an extra hand oh, yes. or something came out of the central box, which just would have looked ridiculous. Yeah, agreed. Right? The design is a classic one. So, yeah, thank goodness they just didn't have the budget for that extra arm. Well, and I think to, yeah. to have an in-show reason why they wouldn't do that, uh, and this <laughs> is sort of like a, a response to the question that sometimes some fans go, well, like if they're replacing all their body parts, why why do they even still look human? Mm. And, well, I think the reason is because it still has a human brain, and the human brain is designed to control a human body. Uh, and mm-hmm. so whatever the Cybermen end up looking like, it's going to roughly be a humanoid. Uh, yep. Because that's just what, what that shows their lineage. And it, it couldn't be really a box or, you know, a tentacled creature because, you know, the human brain was never really designed or evolved from that. So um, Exactly. Just just fit us for what we're used to. And that's maximum efficiency. Exactly. Machines so like. Forget that third arm, man. We don't have yeah, one of those. So most of us. So cy- cyber, <laughs> cyber people. I guess we should really call them. Should yeah. we though? Should we? <laughs> I mean, we're not going to. But I mean, <laughs> but we should acknowledge that. Yeah, this was a uh, done in the '60s. Um, cyber men. I mean, you know, where no man has gone before. It was that era. Um, mm-hmm. So there's sort of an inherent sexism to the Cybermen name um, that I think we can live with. Uh, but it is. Uh, I, I, you know, if you think about it, and this is as I was sort of preparing my notes for the show, like it's almost sexist against men in the same way, in a different mm. way, not in the same way, but it's sexist against women because it sort of obviously sort of negates them in a large way. Um, but it also implies that, you know, these must be men because evil, emotionless beings, of course, they must be male, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's it's interesting you bring up sexism because w- one of the things that struck me about this story is the way that Polly is treated. Yeah. So, so. while Ben and the Doctor are locked up in episode three because they're dangerous, 
Polly is allowed to stick around because she's making the coffee. Literally, because she's making the coffee. And I love that we've come here straight from Terror of the Autons, where we found the doctor's security floor in his unit lab is that the tea lady is allowed <laughs> in and and that's what he thinks joe grant is at first right it's the tea lady now we have the security floor of oh you've you've just allowed this mysterious woman who also came here in a tardis uh to have complete freedom and to scupper your whole z-bomb plans you know with with her whisperings among the staff basically being a spy uh, because cause she's just, you know, said, oh, I'm, I'm just a simple girl and I'm just here to make the coffee. Yeah, well, at least, you know, you could argue that oddly subverts the sexist yes. attitude, um, even though I'm sure it wasn't written. I'm sure it was just sort of expected that way. But I, you, you could you could definitely argue that. Yeah, it's 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 too bad. I mean, I think <laughs> it's funny. It seems like the randomizer likes the overtly sexist episodes. <laughs> uh, what does it say about our randomizer? Um, well, certainly I, a lot I think the randomizer is telling us that we need like a Charlie's Angel style franchise here of just like it's set in sexist 60s world uh, and it's just a, a team of female spies. Oh, man. Who are no, able dude, to work it's a their team way. Of, a team of ex Doctor Who companions. Yeah. So you get Liz <laughs> and Joe yeah. and Polly mm-hmm. uh, and they're all, you know, the, the, this secret team. This is pre Torchwood or I guess it's during yes. Torchwood. Maybe they joined Torchwood, but. Yeah, Ooh, I'd watch the it. The tea lady, the tea lady team. Yeah, <laughs> yes. The tea lady team. <laughs> they bring it. down government conspiracies, etc., by posing as tea ladies. Mm. Uh, I love it. And and in terms of uh, so speaking of lazy characterization, uh, we we also came here direct from a story that has a an obsequious government minister called Brown Rose, uh, and and we go to a story where the cartoonishly violent America uh, American is called Cutler yeah. which I think is obviously a re- reference to Custer um, oh. and it just sort of okay. speaks to that uh, which I, I think that's what, what a Brit would hear in that name right hmm. oh yeah he's obviously supposed to be a General Custer kind of character yeah. and he's going to be bloodthirsty which indeed he is uh, and then, so there's simultaneously a lot of national stereotyping in this episode like mm-hmm. the Italian officer who has the pinups next to his bed and is literally singing La Donna Mobile. Uh, <laughs> well, I just got that he was young. I mean, I guess I yeah. got that he was Italian, but I mean, I didn't, hey, I didn't think the, uh, the pinups were necessarily He's a young a Italian officer who likes, he likes sex. That's because that's what <laughs> Italians do. On, I, I, it's funny because they start on the pinups and I'm like, oh, that's a bit racy for Doctor Who. Yeah. And we sort of zoom out and yeah, it's because we're, Dealing with an Italian. No, I gotta say, I didn't mind it, and I, only because it's very realistic. Like, uh, I've, I've, who hasn't been in any number of garages or bases or whatever where that's a thing? And surely, in a place like Snowcap, uh, where you're basically sealed off, um, you're gonna go a little. <laughs> oh, the sure. sexual frustration is gonna be pretty apparent. It's another reason to kind of probably maybe they should have locked up Polly just for her own safety. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I'm surprised that the Italian officer doesn't hit on her because we're, we're going full into the Italian stereotype here. Mm. Uh, but yeah, give 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 some other officer pin, uh, you know, pinups. Uh, let's uh, let's move the stereotypes <laughs> around. A contest. A 
<laughs> but speaking of that, it is an extraordinarily multicultural episode, mm. right? Yeah. Very ahead Notable of its for time. Notable for that, for sure. We have the first black astronaut on television. Indeed. Is that correct? I believe that is correct. Um, like, because this is 66. Um, well, at this point, I'm not sure if Nich- um, no, Michelle Nichols was on Star Trek by this point, because Star Trek would have debuted in September that year. Mm. So mm. she's she's probably like technically the first. If you want it, yeah, because uh, she's she's an astronaut. If, if she if she counts as an astronaut, yeah, uh, yes, it's it's a little. Well, when you have starships you know, and the like, yeah, I guess that's it's, true. It's it's a, li- a little more removed, certainly, from like what are what what general the general perception of spaceflight was uh, in in the sixties. So this is probably the more most realistic and uh, certainly one of the first uh, portrayals of of a black person in space. Um, what I love about it was that he was also supposed to be Welsh. Did you? Did oh, you see no, that? I did not see was, that. Originally, the character was was written as a Welsh person, and then uh, this uh, actor from the Caribbean comes in and uh, uh, auditions for it, and they're like, "Well, sure, he can be Welsh and Caribbean." The first Welshman in space. Yes, first Welshman in space, <laughs> and uh, yes, sorry, I won't inflict much of my Welsh accent on you, but I, I just love that they were thinking that way, like, you know, it, it seems now very, very ahead of its time, very multicultural, and uh, yeah, if that was supposed to be the, the world of 2000, you know, that was nicely looking forward to it, because they also have, they cut to the Ministry of Space, which mm-hmm. appears to be run by various people from uh France and various parts of Africa. Yeah, they said um, a bunch of nations, and I forget them all. But it, it sort of depicts from you know the '60s this future vision, this almost utopian vision of like, oh, the exploration of space is now done uh, through the United Nations. It's pretty clear because mm. um, International Space Command is in uh, Geneva, I believe, and it's theorizing that oh yeah, of course, all nations of the world cooperate, and that's really the best and best way to do this uh, space thing because the, the resources you would need are huge. And it, it would be. <laughs> yes. It would be the best way to do it. Um, and it, to some extent it has been. I mean, you know, the International Space Station is probably the, the most uh, prominent example of that. But it is kind of neat to see like this sort of Gene Roddenberry-esque almost vision of yeah. uh, the future um, space stuff. And clear, clearly it was like since these scripts were done in August, it's not like they stole it from Star Trek. Like August of that year of 1966, like this is was probably like a um, uh, an idea at the time. Certainly, growing out of sort of that idealistic uh, 1960s counterculture, and I think uh, it's yeah. definitely we're in '66. We're in, you know, we're about to have the summer of love. You know, mm. it's it's you know stuff is changing. Everything's groovy, baby, and that there was this utopia simultaneous with this nuclear fear. This this utopian vision of the future, where of course. By the year 1986, we will all be cooperating and, and working together and exploring space together. People of all, you know, nationalities and races, uh, but maybe not genders. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and don't, and don't mind still, the, the, the doomsday weapon we have back on Earth. Just don't, don't well, think about that so much. I was going to say, we still have to watch out for the Americans in this scenario yeah. because they are all bloodthirsty generals who will fire off Z-bombs at the slightest provocation. Yeah, let's talk about Cutler for a minute. I, I Cutler, <laughs> oh, oh man, like it's, it's just so sad. He's a walking stereotype 
Um, yeah. The actor, I mean, like, does what he's there to do, and I understand the actor's actually Canadian, which is yep. kind of fun. Mike <laughs> Mike McGuire, and apparently he had a, a, a full career playing, he was much in the band playing Americans in British movies and TV shows. Uh, like one, which I just have to mention because I love the name, Dial 999. Which is one of those shows you can't export. Um. <laughs> yeah, is that is that the equivalent of nine one one? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, interesting. It feels like they're just one short of a thousand. Um, <laughs> yeah, Cutler. It's just he's he's tough to take, and he's tough to take in the amount of Cutler there is. Uh, because it'd be fine if he was kind of in the background and sort of the general that walks in, you know, he's almost like he doesn't chew a cigar in the episode, but you could certainly envision him doing that mm-hmm. and barking orders. But to have him such a prominent character and um, just just kind of doing these same sort of gruff barking uh, and increasingly unhinged things throughout, it gets really repetitive. And by the time he is like offed by the Cybermen, you're basically cheering. Um, yeah, which I believe happens, and it's episode four when the Cybermen bust back in for real, and it's really the only reason the Cybermen uh, succeed finally to retake the base is because Cutler is so unhinged, um, and this is sort of a, a, a knock against the Cybermen, unfortunately, which is that they're not really great tacticians, you know, yeah. like they they just keep trying to invade the base, and even though the people there have captured their weapons and are offing them they don't really adjust their tactics at all or or do something differently even though they've lost the element mm-hmm. of surprise which is too bad but at least they got cutler hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> Yay! And we're supposed to care about Cutler's son uh, stuck up there in that spaceship when, like, yeah, we're, we're supposed to care about the son of the guy who didn't really like his son. Like, he loves his son, but he doesn't really like him. And it's sort of a complicated relationship, and we don't really care because he's a two-dimensional cartoon anyway. Right. Like the, you know, I thought they were maybe trying to humanize him by bringing the sun in, but it doesn't work at all. Yeah, well, Cutler Um, cares about him way too much, so we don't have to. mm. (laughs) I mean, yeah, the sun thing was, eh, yeah, it, it sort of gives that... It's obviously a plot device to make sure that to push Cutler over the edge, and he becomes this guy who... Uh, is willing to destroy a whole planet, that being Mondas, to save his son. Um, but I mean, how did this guy get to be a general? You know, like that—that <laughs> that is not a decision any sort of general in any position would ever make. You—you uh, you would never rise to that rank if, yeah. if you were that unhinged. So, so it seems the viewers at the time kind of uh, didn't didn't particularly like the show. Apparently, it had a below a fifty percent on the reaction index. Wow, um, there was a reaction index back then? There was a reaction like index. The equivalent and, of Rotten Tomatoes for the BBC? <laughs> exactly. And 50, apparently f- below 50% is still good. Because um, the, <laughs> the producers thought, based on this, they, they're sort of pleased with it, and they saw it as a blueprint for further stories. 
And the extent to which it is a blueprint, I think it's like Doctor Who, please don't use Americans anymore in mm. your, you know, international teams. And, and maybe we can see the beginnings of a unit here, right? Because, like, mm. you know, in a, you want a unit story where the international officers are anything but American. And, uh, you know, they get, they, they're sort of a bit more level-headed and you need a, you know, solid British officer type um to head them up and well this is certainly you know, to be and like at least in doctor who the beginnings of this i guess sort of reverence for the united nations and a united world mm, um which yes. unit sort of depicts and like they're talking about or your unit represents anyway and the you know there's international space command which actually gets referenced again i believe in another adventure it might be the moon base or something else in the Troughton era so they're kind of starting to build a little bit of a, a universe, like sort of consciously anyway. And but the the whole idea of like, oh, Earth needs its own, um, you know, united government or united military force, whatever shape that may be, um, actually makes a lot of sense in the show. But I'm curious, Chris, from your perspective, is there more of a reverence for that idea of the United Nations? Um, and this sort of world uh, authority? Was that sort of a, a thing back then, or is it now? I feel like the Brexit is probably less so, but yeah. um, back then, I, I feel like maybe there was more of a, like, this is probably how we're, we're going to evolve further and further into this more united world. Yeah, I think there was generally a lot more reception for that in uh, the UK, because here's the thing, in 1945, the end of World War II, the UK was basically broken, right? Mm. Uh, we look back and know that now, like we were in massive debt. It was the end of the British Empire. Uh, yeah. We didn't know it then. And one of the things that masked it then was that we were on the UN Security Council. We were mm. still one of the most important nations of the world because we theoretically had a veto over anything the UN did, right? And that put us on the same level as the US and the Soviet Union. Um, so we were kind of fooling ourselves th through the United Nations, and I think it, it just it allowed Britain to see itself as global Britain, to use a phrase that is much used by Brexiteers even now. Like we mm -hmm. we know that we're just a tiny island now, and and we need something to make us important and relevant in the world, uh, and the UN certainly fits that bill. So I can see why we had that UN reverence, and it was it was certainly a surprise to me when I came to the US in the nineties and discovered. You know the the suspicion of it, right? Not so much here. Yeah, uh, yeah there's certainly like yeah. a, a good chunk of people I think in the U.S. that that are, are you know pro pro UN or at least for its mission. But there's a much more yeah suspicion and um just a general uh, thought of like does this does this body ha do what it's designed to do and if it's not mm. and what what is it designed to do exactly? So there's there's yeah. There's, there's not that same, like, I think, uh, certainly in, in the show of Doctor Who, like, this sort of almost inevitability that we're going to be this united Earth. Um, that yeah. seems a long way off. Though, again, getting back to the show, like, it makes total sense, right? Because one of the things that I think is often debated, at least in college campuses, about, like, do we need a world government? Well, may, we, we might, do, do we need one if there's no other government to sort of... Uh, uh, to be a, a, a rival or compare it against, right? Because if, if that's one yeah. unified thing, it it makes a lot more sense in the context of a universe of other planets 
that also have their governments. But until we get there, I mean, we'll probably always be um, fractured. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that if you remade the 10th planet today uh, as the 9th planet, uh, you might have that be part of the script, right? That the sudden appearance of Mondas is what brings the nations of the Earth together. Ah. Because we do need that kind of external threat. Um, I love that. And I'll just say, by the way, it does look so weird to our eyes. When we first see Mondas, it is so obviously the Earth upside down mm. that the fact that the characters kind of go through this like, wait a minute. That looks familiar. You know, wait, that's South America up there at the top. You know? Yeah, and I think in the (laughs) 60s, I mean, I'm trying to judge it based on the time, because it's easy to go to kick that and go like, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. Um, Like, no, (laughs) even if they were, like, very, like, identical masses of planet, there's no way the, the plates would evolve the same way. Would, would, even if, even if they were the same shape, you know, they, they wouldn't evolve Mm. the same over time. So, that's just really silly as a scientific idea. Um, but, you know, to, to hit home the idea this is the twin planet, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a very direct way to do that. And you instantly have visual confirmation that this thing is related to Earth in a very obvious way. Um, and also, like, there were other... Uh, I think Star Trek at the time did an episode, I think it was Miri, actually, where it was basically the same idea. You know, they they just arrived at this planet. It's it's another Earth. It's mm-hmm. a parallel evolution. It's never really explained, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be that. But for some reason, the writers thought that was a thing um, that there could be like these other Earths seated in other places. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know if that was really uh, 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 based on any sort of scientific uh, yeah. thing, but uh, it was definitely a thing at the time. It, it it is so weird the way that Mondas is treated in the script is it's it's definitely this this uh, thing that just sort of like you know, people keep remembering that it exists like at some point Cutler kind of gives a list of priorities of of right. things that we need to fix right now and I think that the the existence of a, another Earth uh, <laughs> is <laughs> number three on that list. It's, it's, oh yeah, and by the way uh, <laughs> After rescuing my son And getting my son a cup of coffee yeah, That's on you, Polly <laughs> And then it's like, oh yeah, the planet, uh, right, totally but, and, and then, you know, apparently Earth's astronomers kill, still can't agree That it's a twin world, despite it so Looking so obviously like a twin world we're, we're told this in that great little snatch Of international television news mm-hmm. um, Which Gotta say, as a channel is apparently broadcasts this entire United Nations planet, future planet, uh, they really need to up the excitement level in their in their news broadcasts. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> yeah, totally. It's a little basic. You need to get Anderson uh, Cooper in there. Yeah, yeah. But of course it. British news readers in this in this United Earth, we need British news readers for everything because they're the most, you know, trusted faces and names in news. <laughs> of course. Uh <laughs> It's so so sixties and British, um, yeah. But yeah, the, speaking of this uh, audience appreciation index, so it was fifty uh, percent for episode one, forty eight percent for the rest of the episodes, only forty seven percent for episode four. Oh, um, yeah. Viewing wow. figures were good, uh, and they went up during the serial, but then went down again for episode four. And it's super weird because it's like these days, you get a regeneration episode bump. Yeah. Anytime the Doctor regenerates, people tune in because they want to see that moment, mm-hmm. even if they're not big fans of the show. 
you know, you, you see these huge spikes in the, the, the viewing figures at the end of that episode. And it makes me realize that they just, they either really wanted to complete this, you know, keep, keep this completely secret. Uh, or they just didn't know how to market a, <laughs> oh, a yeah. good story twist, right? Yeah, I think it's, these days it'd be like tune in for a special surprise in a very special episode of Doctor Who. Oh, it'd be it's massive. We know it's massive. I mean, I remember the whole um, you know who is who is the new Doctor uh, special they did when Capaldi was chosen. Uh, it was a massive, yeah. massive event, and. Back then, I think they just had no idea. Like, like they barely knew what marketing was back then, right? They certainly weren't treating mm-hmm. Doctor Who as a franchise in any way. So, um, I remember in watching the documentary on the DVD about this, there were like a couple of articles that they showed from um, either the Times or um, maybe even um, um, well, I don't know where they were. But the point was, they were these tiny columns halfway down the page. Like, there's a new Doctor <laughs> Who. Um, whereas today you would have that as it would be front page news, yeah, uh, on the Daily and, Mail. And the search, the search. W- I mean, the news would have leaked yeah. months beforehand, of right? Course. And then the, the, the. Then we'd have the stakes of who who's in play uh, to be the next Doctor. Well, yeah. Now uh, there's a whole uh, anatomy to it. Even there's like the rumors mm. start. We're already actually in that now. And then there's going to be the um, the leak. And then the official announcement, and then the speculation, and then uh, the the date of the announcement, and then the actual announcement, uh, and more leaks in between all of that. So um, it's such a process now that probably takes mm. more than a year. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's surprised that it, there wasn't a bump, even with those sort of minor minor articles that were written about it. Um, but you know, with Troughton took over, and people. A lot of people wondered if this was the end of Doctor Who, and uh, apparently that was a that was not. It was not, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> goodness. Patrick did okay. Pull to open would be a very short show if, got the, if it had ended with the Tenth Planet. They got the trout and bounce. Yeah, they certainly did. And a, a, reportedly, William Hartnell said that the trout was the only man in England who could play, who could replace him. And, and as, it's funny, like, and I'm not sure when and where he said that. I assume that was before Troughton was chosen, <laughs> or it's not just like, you know, saying nice things about the person who uh, who has been picked to replace you. Yeah, I, I think it was said uh, after the fact, but um, you know, presumably, I mean, you know, the world of uh, BBC acting was was very small, and mm-hmm. uh, Troughton was certainly a known figure. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, you know, it was an excellent choice, and um, it, there's still debate to this day over whether Hartnell quit or resigned, and mm-hmm. obviously he was in ill, Ill health, um, and obviously he was butting heads more and more with the production crew, you know, but we don't well, know if it happened exactly as it did yeah. in Adventure in Space and Time, with that sort of key meeting with Sidney Newman, right, Played yeah. by Brian Cox, where he's like, I, I have to tell you, the show is going to continue, but you're not. Right. Well, um, certainly according to the cast, he was even butting heads with the new, like, like uh, Michael Craze and uh, Nick mm-hmm. Wills. I'm not sure how no, I'm pronouncing her name right. And Nick? And Nick? And Nick? And Necky? And Necky Wills? I'm not sure. Anika. Yeah, well, she she spoke a lot on the um, documentary and talked about how he even forbade anyone playing ping pong on the table 
in the uh, the hallway, I guess, outside the set in between shots mm. because that would disturb his concentration. Um, and he apparently didn't get on that well with them. And I liked how Adventure in Space and Time sort of showed some layers to that and that, you know, he, mm. he was very invested in the show. Um, didn't really like that there were a lot of cast changes and no one else seemed to be as invested as he was. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know... Obviously. Didn't like that Verity left mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And you could, it is a wonderful... really holds up as a film because of that sense of... that growing sense of alienation yeah. as the years spin forward. And you have that lovely scene where it's just sort of like the the camera flashes between him having the publicity shots taken with him and and uh, Peter Perves, mm-hmm. you know, as, as Stephen and... and uh, uh, Dido, was it? I Dodo. Dodo, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, Dodo. Um, and, you know, and then flash forward again, and it's Ben and Polly. It's like he's, he's just the 60s is rolling on without him, and he's barely even knows where he is. Um, you should uh, uh, mention yeah. Dodo, uh, RIP mm-hmm. Jackie Lane, who died recently, unfortunately. Oh, no. Yeah. So a few weeks ago. Um, That's rough. Yeah, but apparently, so 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 the other thing I was going to mention is that supposedly one thing Hartnell said in an interview at the time was that three years in one part is a good innings, hmm. uh, which definitely suggests that he was more at peace with with leaving the role than than his than later reputation suggests, and I, I really like that phrase because it uh, it's it makes me think of William Hartnell as like the George Washington of Doctor Who. Mm. Like he's, you know, George Washington only served two terms and he's like, like I'm going to set this. This is going to be the standard for presidents going forward. It's not going to be written down in stone, but like three years in the role is a good innings. Um, and that's hard and, pretty and true. It is pretty true. And it's hold true for ev- almost everyone since. Mm-hmm. And what I'm basically suggesting here is Tom Baker is Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh, he's the FDR of Doctor Who, serving for four terms. I like that. You know. That's good. <laughs> Will never be. And I always have it. And I realize I have it in the back of my head a lot of like, I want every new Doctor, even though they're not my Doctor and I can rarely appreciate what they do until they're no longer in the role. Right. You mm. know, until doing a retrospective of all their episodes. Uh, I still want them to go for Tom Baker's record, right? To to last on as long as they can, because I'd love to see in my lifetime an actor play Doctor Who for longer than Tom Baker. Right? Yeah, that would be interesting. I don't know. It's almost like I feel like it's a little like trying to break a record set by Gretzky if you were in the <laughs> NHL. Like it's like the game has changed so much. How could you even do that today? You know, like uh, I feel like actors and franchises like doctor who now are a bit um sort of have their their kind of the wheels run on their own uh but yeah i would totally um i totally welcome it with the right person and i know colin baker sort of now infamously said he he was gonna go for the record uh of course he was the one doctor who who was actually fired um so you know just goes to show Feature in future in 1986, right? right? In 1986. <laughs> oh man! Well, I think we might we might have uh, be foreshadowing where the randomizer's taking us next. Yes. Um, so shall we find out? Uh, well, first, let's talk about what if this evil plot here had succeeded. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> well, so whose is the evil plot? First of all, right? Is it Cutler's or is Ooh. it? That, I like uh, the way you think. Maybe there's a couple to explore here. So if Cutler... Yeah. Okay, let's start with Cutler's and then do the main one. Mm-hmm. So Cutler's plot, obviously, is to set the Z-bomb off, uh, destroy Mondas, and rescue his son. 
Um, so we have to assume Ben didn't succeed in sabotaging the rocket. Z-Bomb takes off uh, with the doctor still sort of unconscious and destroys Mondas, or at least heavily damages it. And Which is being destroyed by the energy anyway. Yeah. So really the only effect is that a, a blowback of radiation onto one side of Earth. So half of Earth is wiped out, more or less. Yeah, and or seriously irradiated. Yeah. So Earth becomes this inhospitable place, very dark place. Maybe there's maybe there's like zombies. <laughs> it becomes like a zombie planet. <laughs> well, maybe and Doctor Who becomes if you're the walkie dead. Very dang. lucky. If Earth was very lucky, it would irradiate just like the the half. Like you get half a half Earth with most of the Pacific in the picture, right? Mm, okay. Best case scenario. Best case scenario. It it kills me off here on the west coast and sort of the, the east coast of Asia, right? But leaves the rest of the landmass intact. Yeah. I think um, I think there has to be the ironic twist that his whole attempt to save his son actually kills his son. I think that would have to happen. Oh, that, absolutely. In that depiction. Hmm. So so that's one evil plot. It ends in a again a very Doctor Strange Love-esque kind of place. <laughs> uh where we're we're all down mine shafts. Um, okay, not, so then if, if that doesn't gaffed. work, and instead the Cybermen who retake the base succeed in um, setting off the Z-bomb and destroying Earth, or at least setting it up to blow up, so the Earth gets blown up, uh, Mondas does not absorb too much radiation, it's sort of staved at the last second there, I guess, or too much energy. Um, and, and, and then... We're presuming that they've taken the members of the base back to Mondas with them yeah, that they wanted, right, right? For conversion, um, which means that Ben and Polly become the Adam and Eve of a new human race. Oh wow, on Mondas, yeah. But I mean, they'd be a new race of Cybermen. They'd be just like human Cybermen, like the Earth human Cybermen. Well, I'm assuming that Ben and Polly would, you know, like what happens next is they they have some desperate, you know, long term guerrilla warfare against the Cybermen, you know, they mm. escape into the wastelands of Mondas and and uh you know and is, build a new civilization, and is the fend them off. With him? Is he... I, I would presume so, yeah. As Patrick Troughton. Uh, you know, as Patrick Troughton, because he's apparently like this in universe this episode was just his heart attack moment anyway. The doctor is just going to regenerate because he's too old at this point. So at this point, so, so with the human race wiped out almost totally mm -hmm. and the Cybermen in um a dominant position with Mondas and their propulsion unit, I think we're we kind of have gotten to the timeless child something like mm. fifty years early. Because that yeah. that's how that was sort of depicted in the far future, that the both the Cybermen and the human race had, had fought each other to extinction. That is a great point. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like yeah. this is the inevitable result of these twin planets is that, that at some point, whether it was 1986 or the far future, the the two races just essentially wipe each other out and um, it's it's a genocidal relationship regardless. The, the big question, I think, is what would happen to the TARDIS? Mm. Um Floating would in it space. Still be there? No, it would. Would it, be, would it have blown off the planet? Well, if it is indestructible or indestructible enough, it would. It would mm. presumably be floating in space with the debris of the Earth, you know, floating around, and you could probably detect it and find it again. So that could be a interesting, interesting parallel timeline we're coming up with here. And, and just to make it even more timey wimey, Cavaldi's Doctor would also land there, 
in the the wreckage of what was once Antarctica. You know, you, you get right. a sort of Alderaan situation where he just appears in a uh, asteroid field. It's oh, like, wait a minute, yeah. what's happened here? And he's next, right next to this other TARDIS. Maybe he can help the Patrick Troughton Doctor get off Mondas. And bottom line, we, we've just written a whole new Big Finish What If <laughs> serial here. Again, Cyber Empire. I seem to remember we did that last time in response to the What If the Evil Plot It Succeeded yeah. plot. Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, call yeah, us guys. Big Finish. <laughs> We're, here for We're doing the phone symbol. Um, all right, now shall we find out where the randomizer let's wants to do it? Let's do it. Let's uh, let's also tell everyone what we do here with the randomizer. Um, so every time we finish talking about an episode, we figure out which episode we're going to next. It is totally random, as random as we can get it. Uh, as everyone knows, computers are bad at picking random numbers. So, Chris, who do we turn to for it? We use random.org, which uh, please sponsor us, random.org, can use a true random number generator using uh, atmospheric noise um, to produce something truly random based on atoms bouncing around in our atmosphere. Beautiful. It's a very doctorish way of doing it. Um, I believe this is probably how the actual randomizer works. I'm I'm not going to say that's canon, but Mm -hmm. I like to think that. Anyway, so we have minimum number one, maximum number 297. All right. If we hit a serial we've already hit, and we're going to have to figure that out sooner or later. Those are all all time locked. Then, yeah, we we have to generate again, but... Yeah, we uh, got it all. Well, first, I want want to throw down a challenge to the randomizer. Randomizer, you took us to a lost episode, but it wasn't really lost. Challenge Mm. us. Challenge us. Get us a real... I I want you to give me the smugglers. Or something like that. <laughs> something that's really gone. Uh, wow. Okay? Because I really want to be... Yeah, ooh, that would be epic. I mean, in more ways than mm. one. But yes. Mm. Okay. So call, if you're going to give us a lost episode randomizer, make sure it's really lost. Okay. That's all I want to do. All right. Countdown. Three, two, one. Affirmative. 46. 46. Oh, Chris. It didn't hear me. <laughs> because this one exists. <laughs> it tried, though. It tried. It's the Crotons. The Crotons! Yeah. I love the Crotons. It's the Does very it? first Trout and Cereal I saw. Oh, you know what? It was... No, go ahead. Yeah? I, I, know, I know why it took us here. I know I know. I have the... Ri- oh, yeah. okay. Uh, well, I was going to say that it was part of the Five Faces of Doctor Who, which is a series of repeats, because I said before on the show... BBC did not show as many repeats as as you guys got on PBS. Oh. Uh, so it was very rare to get any old Troughton at all. And this was... Uh, and I love the Crotons. And it was, a, it was a great example of Troughton and, and of why my father loved him so much and why he was his favorite doctor. Yeah. Um, it is. It's, this is definitely late Troughton. And um, it's cool that we're going to Troughton because we just did Hartnell and did a few mm-hmm. Hartnells and we have not done a Troughton episode yet. So I'm super excited about that, but interesting, weird, um, name note. So in the 10th planet, and this is something we didn't note, but it is that the Cybermen actually have names and it is the yes. only story, uh, at least on, on the television series that they are portrayed with names. So they have these weird sort of one or two syllable names like Krang and Krail and Gurn. Um, they're not really <laughs> used much on screen. I think it's only like one or two bits of dialogue, but they're scripted that way. And they're certainly referred to that way in novels and every other um, 
piece of media that refers to the Tenth Planet. Now, in the comics, they also had a few names of Cybermen, and one very notable name is Croton, the junior huh. cyber leader who's a throwback. He he somehow is an emotional inhibitor gets deactivated and he is the one cyberman with emotions uh it's junior nice. cyber leader croton and so we've been taking to the croton so i i've seen i've seen the connection it's all coming together chris it's all connected yeah and of, as we see you know patrick Troughton's face on screen for the first time the randomizer is like yeah i want more of that guy mm-hmm. so hopefully this will be the first of many Trotons and pull to open yeah hopefully. we'll get to them all eventually a lot of them are lost so like the, that challenge mm-hmm. still stands there randomizer Mm. Give it to us. <laughs> cool. Looking forward to it. All right, Chris, this has been great. Thanks for uh, chatting with the Tenth Planet with me, um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, this has been Pull to Open. It is a podcast. Uh, if you have not subscribed yet, please do. We are available wherever you find podcasts. That is on Apple, on Spotify, on Google, Breaker, all bunch of places. Um, if you do listen to the show and you like it, we'd love it if you left a review. Um, five stars are the kind of reviews we like but really we like all the reviews so just go ahead and leave us a rating leave us a review we really really appreciate it every one of those really helps us grow and helps us reach more people Uh, follow us on social uh, especially on TikTok where we're putting up videos with little snippets from the pod all the time they're super fun people really like them Uh, we're at pull to open on TikTok all one word obviously on twitter and instagram as well we're doing some live tweets of the stuff we're watching and we're sharing uh some cool stuff on instagram too on both of twitter and instagram we're at pull to open 63 get it um so and that is where we will see you until next time if you uh, if you're trying to get our podcast on the planet mondas remember to turn your smartphone upside down (laughs) right Exactly. All right. And don't uh, Take suck care, too much of that energy, uh, <laughs> unless your uh, phone explode. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. All right. Take care. <laughs>